Good morning, everybody. So good to have you here as we continue our Mark series. What awesome song that was. I enjoyed singing that so much. I snuck into the back just to hear y'all sing Holy Forever. Such a beautiful song. I got something behind me that is one of the greatest things that ever happens to you around the age of 16. You get your first steering wheel. And if you're wondering if this came from your car, you'll find out after the service. Um, when you get in the car and you're doing, getting ready for your permit and everything like that, that's one thing because you have your mom there praying to Jesus as loud as she can, you know, your dad grabbing the wheel from you from time to time, watch it, you know, and, and there's all, all those extra things, your, your first terror um, um, at a traffic light, all the, all the different aspects of driving, but you, you finally go to take your test, and, and young people, teen, teens in here, um, Pastor Chris failed his driver's test. I, I failed my first one. So if you failed, I'm with you. I, I, I did not get it. And I, and I asked him, why did I fail? And they said, you were too cocky. <laughs> like, how was I too cocky? I'm like emotional turmoil as they're telling me the news that I didn't, I'm gonna have to come back. I go, how is it? They, they said, when you went through the slalom, you went one hand. I said, well, that's how Knight Rider would have done it. I mean, come on. So I had to go back and I finally got it. I remember the first time taking a drive in my car with the steering wheel and, and, and heading out. And, and I say my car that my dad paid and, and covered the insurance and helped me with the little gas, you know, mine. And, and, and I went out and, and, I, and I was driving along and I felt a little bit of hunger. I thought, you know, I've never done this. And I looked over and I saw Burger King. And I turned the car and I pulled in and I thought, I'm gonna order my first drive-through by myself. Nobody telling me what I can get. Nobody stopping me. Pulled up and then I realized how tight everything was. Whoa, whoa, okay, very narrow, very narrow especially if you go to Quakertown. If you remember the old McDonald's, it's like, whoa, I think it's Popeye's now. Terrifying. But I'm in that lane and I, I'm going along. I pull up and they said, what would you like? And I ordered the greatest fast food burger known to man. I'll have the Whopper Junior make it a double with bacon and cheese. Would you like fries? Yes. What size? King size. We all love to be treated like a king. And it came out and I ordered it. And I'm like, wow, I am a man now. I have ordered fast food by myself. And I drove off. I remember eating that burger and I used to be able to, mm, I could slam those down. Now, as I eat those things, I feel myself dying. But at that time... <laughs> At that time, it was like, I could eat whatever I wanted, you know, basketball, all that stuff. And, and, but I, I remember driving, and, and you know, early in your driving career, in fact, throughout your driving career, you'll notice you can keep your eyes on the road, you can keep focused on the road down ahead, but there's always a couple spots that are difficult to see, right? And they're called our what? Our blind spot. And you can take different measures to look at your blind spot, but I think everyone in the room at some point in their life has begun to merge and heard, eh, and maybe even saw somebody language they didn't prefer. I think we've all had the experience where we've had somebody do it to us, and we've missed that they were in our blind spot. And now the newer cars, they have so many warnings, and that's wonderful. But I remember the days where you had to really be careful about your blind spot. Young people, believe it or not, we actually had to look over our shoulders to back up when I first started driving. Didn't have these gorgeous cameras on, on our dashboard. And I got thinking about that on a spiritual level. You know, we live in a world that teaches a philosophy of life that is get ahead. In fact, some would call what we live in now uh, the kingdom of est. W what do I mean? The pursuit to be est. 
It, it starts when you're little. Who's the fastest? Okay. And then it turns into who's the prettiest? Who's the coolest? You get into different areas of your life and it becomes who's the toughest? You get to college and it's who's the smartest? You get into your adult life and you start looking around and you start asking these est questions. And, and, and they're so motivating in the kingdom of est that there's people you probably don't like because if you're quite honest with yourself, the world regards them as more est than you. For make no mistake, in this side of eternity, there is an est and that est is treated differently. And we learn this and we live this. And so we want to become the richest or the most securest or the safest. We're in this kingdom of est. But there's a warning to this. In your pursuit to climb the ladder of your profession. In your pursuit to gain that respect from everyone you so desire. In your pursuit to run from everything you've seen in your rearview mirror that is keeping you from being the est. There's some blind spots. And they're blind spots that if we don't notice them, they can truly get our impact off the road. I call this the blind spot dynamic. The blind spot dynamic basically is this. It's an attitude an approach to life or a mindset that we're not seeing in ourselves that is having an impact on other people. You've been in a car and you know what it's like to have an aggressive driver swiping right in front of you, flying down the road. You feel disrespected. If you're in the car with them, you feel a little uncomfortable at how they're driving. I'm sure there's Someone in this room who has recently seen someone just going lane to lane, flying back and forth. My parents used to say, watch out for those kinds of drivers. I said, no need, mom. She said, why? I am that driver. <laughs> I'm not here to judge. Then you also have unaware drivers. Oh, they're inconsiderate. Their high beams are on you the entire ride home. They're riding in your blind spot. And when you speed up, they speed up. It's almost like they're timing you. And when you're on the road, it can be annoying. And they can, they can be so aloof as to how they're impacting you. And did you ever notice in the blind spot mirror, there's this little message Kids, check it out on the way home. Just check the side beers. They'll say this. Objects seem further than they really are. In other words, the things in the mirror are disproportionate to what they really are. And have you ever noticed that while we are driving at times, if someone gets in our blind spot or if we're in someone else's blind spot, we can react disproportionately to the situation? Have you ever called somebody an idiot in your car and you don't know them? You haven't met them and you've done the same thing they just did to you, to someone else at some point in your life where you got to uh, and you had to do the drive of shame. Oh man, I clearly pulled in front of them and here they come, here they come. And you just go like this, you just go, you just go numb. Don't look at them, don't look at them. Yep, I see what they're doing too. Just let them go. They are needing to recover. <laughs> Drive a shame. Somebody said, were you following us to church this morning? What were we doing? Mirrors show a lot about ourselves. And I think sometimes God brings things into our life so that we get a mirror effect. He shows us things to expose things in us. And we react to them so disproportionately because we do the same thing. Yet we will not tolerate it in other people, nor show grace 
to other people, nor speak well of other people who do it to us. You know, they say, oftentimes, you are most repelled by your own personality. It's like we don't want to know what's in the mirror. I remember growing up watching kids' shows and stuff, and they had those magical mirrors. And, and, the, and this will ring true. People will know where I'm going with this. Ready? Ready? Mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the? I'm going greatest. Who's the greatest of them all? And you might say, well, I know I live in the land of Est. It's true, but I don't really struggle with this. Okay, let me throw this out. Let's see how this goes. Who do you think is the greatest person in this room right now? You feel the tension just come in here? You feel that tension? If I walked into your place of employment, I'd say, who's the greatest employee right here? I know who my boss would say. I know who he won't say. I know who she thinks is. I've had a chance to speak in front of different environments and sometimes I get the chance to speak in front of teachers before they're in service and stuff. And I pulled that one out one time. I said, hey, who's the greatest teacher in here? Whew. That got tense real quick because I followed it up with a second question. Who do you think the student body would say is the greatest teacher in here? Oh, <laughs> I know who, her, because she lets them get away with murder. You should see what they do. Or him, he leaves the class 15 minutes early. He's that professor who's like, I don't feel like being here today, nice out. No, that's why they're the greatest, right? And we have all these reactions to it. Why? Because you live in the kingdom of Est. No eighth grader goes, hey, I hope to grow up and kind of just be real super mediocre, um, never accomplish anything, and more or less feel like a failure all the time. No, none of us, because we're in this kingdom of Est and how we respond to it will either determine if we're living for the kingdom of Est or the kingdom of God. Today, Jesus wants to approach something going on in his disciples that threatens their impact on other people. And in a word, elitism. And the pursuit of elitism or the passion for elitism or the life of elitism is often best described by a question. Who is the greatest? Do you know Jesus wants to answer that question today? Do you know Jesus doesn't tell the disciples to stop pursuing greatness? He goes, hey, you should not be pursuing greatness. In fact, in fact, you could argue he encourages it. But based on his definition and not the kingdom of Est, based on the kingdom of God's definition and not the kingdom of Est. And so the question will be today, while we spend time under the word of God, which mirror do you wish to have the best reflection in? And not what you know the Sunday school answer is, but how would you behave in your attitude and your approach and your pursuits if you were pursuing the kingdom of God? Heavenly Father, use your word today to help us redefine what greatness is. This world will put a lot of S's under a lot of different things. In fact, there's folks in this room, teenagers in this room, kids in this room, I'm sure that are called the est of something they do and they understand this. And Jesus wants to say, if you've ever had someone put an est in description of you, here's what I want you to hear from me. And so Lord, use this today to inspire us to live more like Jesus and how we live our lives. And so Lord, I ask that you remove all distractions from this place that we might focus solely on you. I ask that you would humble our hearts so that we would receive the word of God. And I ask that you would renew our minds as we sit under the word of God so that we might leave differently than we arrived today because we prioritized the Bible. We'll pray these things, giving thanks in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Here we go. Here we go. They 
went on from there and passed through Galilee. What's our context? They were on the Mount of Transfiguration and they were moving now towards Galilee and they're headed to Capernaum. And on their way to Capernaum, Jesus doesn't want to talk to people because he's no longer doing his public ministry. He is now going towards the cross. And so he's explaining to his disciples, I'm going to go die now, let's go. So that's where we pick it up. They went on from there and they passed through Galilee and he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples saying to them this, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Make no mistake, the Mark and account is making it very clear that Jesus let them know, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Have you ever been in class, and, or been in a situation, or been at work, and you were really wanting to know the answer, and you were afraid to ask? Some might say, why were they afraid to ask Jesus? Just ask him. Well, realize they're coming off the get thee behind me, Satan. That probably shook them a little bit. And so they're, they're, they're a little unnerved by that, it seems. And, and, and they came to Capernaum, and, and he was in the house, and he asked them a question. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they argued with one another about who was, any guesses? The greatest. They were arguing with each other on the road, so they didn't want to talk about it. There was road rage going on in the disciples, and there was an argument. Who was the greatest? Have you enjoyed walking through the gospel of Mark and seeing some of these texts that you were very familiar with in their context? Because now you're thinking, oh my word, they're coming from the Mount of Transfiguration. No wonder there was probably some arguing because only three of them went up. Now this is conjecture, of course, but think about how we react as human beings when certain people get selected and we're not. James, John, Peter, come with me. And imagine if they come down and they're talking about it. It's only natural. John, can you believe? Can you believe what Moses looked like? I know. I was like, what? Moses? I was like, Moses. Dan, can you believe what Moses is like? You've been there when you've been left out and they're all like, can you believe that Friday night, man? Oh my word, that was amazing. That was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. I, was, I wasn't there. Man, Rojas caught that ball. I was standing right there. <laughs> we get upset when we miss out on things. I can't imagine. But when you see that in context, you go, wow. Yeah, yeah, of course that's conjecture. But at the same time, think about how we react. We get left out of something. Think about how we react when we get included into something. I must be pretty, I must be pretty awesome. In fact, this was a conversation that would often occur with the disciples. In fact, one time a mother got involved. That, it gets real ugly when mama bear gets involved. Who is the greatest? Look what Mark says next. And he sat down and called the 12 and said to them. Now, let me, let me do some... Uh, let me do some interpretation by acting, okay? Um, he sat down. Now, not a chair per se, but in that time, a Jewish rabbi would sit on the ground when he wanted to do a specific teaching. And I want you to see the power of what I just did. On top of that, if I were to say, hey, everybody, come here, come here. What am I saying? Gather in. This is important. You need to get this, and I want everybody listening. In fact, if you're still walking around not paying attention, you're missing the fact that the rabbi has just sat down. But on top of that, understanding the, the, the significance of this culturally, a rabbi sitting down is saying, it's time to listen. So they all sit down. Now, now we understand the power of this in our own, we, we understand the power of this. If, if, I were to, if I were to do this, You'll, you'll see the difference. I'll, I'll act this out. If you're listening on podcasts or something like this, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna act this out the best I can, but... Hey, buddy, I need you to stop. What? I need you to stop. No, hey, I really need you to stop. That's, yeah, it's not the way I want you. Hey, don't, 
Don't do that to your sister. Hey, man, seriously, stop, stop, okay? Ready, watch, watch. Hey, look at me, look at me. You see the difference? That's usually what happens. Look at me. You got down to their level and you said, I'm being very serious. You didn't even have to change your voice inflection. You've gotten down them. Rabbi, come here, guys, come here. So some about this argument bothered Jesus enough to say, sit down. Everybody sit down. I'm not walking any further. What is he going to say? He says this. You guys are arguing about being the greatest? Here we go. If any of you would be first, he must be last. And if any of you want to be first, he must be servant of all. Can you remember the last time you finished last in something? Any golfers? We hate being last. Who wants to be last? I mean, last is awful. Some of us have some of our darkest moments from finishing last in something. And Jesus says, if anyone be first, be last. It's like there's this reflection in the kingdom of God off of of all, last of all, and servant of all. See, in the land of Est, it's fastest, coolest, smartest. They get, they get ahead, right? But in the kingdom of God, it's last of all and servant of all. Could it at least be servant of some? No, no, it says servant of all. Could it at least be servant of people I, I kind of like? No, no, it's servant of all. Oh, elitism was a massive threat to the disciples. And Jesus is confronting it by saying, this is how the kingdom of God is. This is the reflection that Jesus wants to see. I know what the kingdom of S says. I want you focused and seeking first the kingdom of God, my rule and reign, what's important to me. If you're living inside my city walls, if you will, this is what I desire. Have you ever heard the term servant leadership? You ever wonder where you got that? We, we talk about servant leadership a lot. You'll hear, oh, gotta be a servant leader. Do you know where that came from? Yeah, like a, a, a book I read. No, no, no. You can trace that all the way back right out of Jesus' mouth. He was the one who walked into a sectarian society that was all about elevating itself. Educated people were the dominant ones, ruling over people with their power, with their est. And he comes walking in and he goes, you know what I'm actually looking for? I'm looking for servants. He gave the illustration in the Gospel of Luke. It's chapter 22, and he leverages a table. This is where servant leadership finds its origins. A dispute had arose from them, Luke says, as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Which one here should be, we call the greatest? And, and Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. In fact, you live in a society where the higher you get and the more served you are, the better you are. The more followers you have, the more TV time you have, the more impact you have, you are the greatest people. You live in that society. Jesus is basically telling them this, and we understand this because we live in the kingdom of Est. But Jesus goes, not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. What? Leaders should be served, right? No, no, no. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the guy getting served. He clearly has means. He, he has people, he has servants coming to him. But Jesus goes, but I am among you as the one who serves. So, so when I'm a servant of all and I have a last of all mindset, I'm the most like Jesus I can ever be. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's, not, that's not the way this world works though. I mean, trust me, I'll get run over. I'll have people pulling in front of me, cutting me off, talking bad. You, you understand, I'm gonna probably suffer and there's gonna be things I'll get left out of or I'll be, I'll be not invited to or I'll be... The, the... When Jesus, who was always the greatest person in any room he was in, nobody ever had to wonder, who's the greatest person in here? Walked into the table that one evening. The disciples are around him. You know what the greatest person in the room did? He got a towel and he began to wash their feet. Peter goes, don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you can have nothing to do with me. And, Jesus, and Peter said, well, again, then go ahead and do the whole body. We gotta love Peter. Jesus is saying, I want you to be and pursue greatness. And you wanna know what it looks like? Serving. He doubles down. How's he double down? I gotta go sit down again. He says this. Watch this. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms. So, so, so here, he's sitting among them. If you wanna be the greatest, guys, I want you to be a servant of all. And then he goes, hey, hey, bud. Come here, man, come here. Little boy comes running over. Right here. Somebody's gonna be, what is going on here? Taking his arms, he says to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Any of you who receive one just like this guy, what's up, buddy? You receive me. What? And he continues, he says this, in fact, he goes, and whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. child and we see this reflection off the word receives one who receives one of these receives me so when I receive one of these little children Jesus I'm receiving you is that what you're saying how many of you are familiar with the phrase I know servant leader but how about this one least of these. Have you ever heard that phrase? Jesus introduced least of these. Do you know where he did it? Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is speaking to the righteous and he shares, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by the father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This day is coming for the saints. And he says this, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will turn to Jesus and will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? I I, I remember... And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? Church age, one day you'll be like, what, 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 Jesus, I didn't see you there. There was the guy. I remember doing that for that lady, but I don't remember seeing you. This is the idea here. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? I don't remember Jesus doing that for you. And the king will answer them and say, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it. Does it say for me? Mm -mm. It says you did it to me. You, You mean to tell me that God, you've brought certain people into my life that maybe the kingdom of Est would say are insignificant, needy, um, annoying even? frustrating, could possibly abuse grace that I've given to them. You're saying that you've brought some of those people along my path, and if I serve them, I'm actually serving you? He pulls a child up to these disciples. See, we live in a society today where we borderline 
worship our children. And I love my kids. Like you can't believe I would give my life for all three of them. However, we live in a society very different than what was then. Our society now, we will change our schedule. We will fill up our gas tank 100 times per week to get them everywhere they wanna go. We will do everything to see them succeed. It is a passion in our society to elevate children and kids are awesome. We love our kids at Renew. But in that time period, with the mortality rate of the ancient world, they didn't even know if they were gonna live very long. They did not have the modern medicine that could keep certain illnesses alive and kids would pass away constantly. On top of that, education was very, very limited. And so if they were uneducated and you didn't know if they were gonna be around very long until they reached a certain age where they were deemed, it seems, viable for a good long life, they were considered more or less the least of these. And so when Jesus says, bring a kid here, a rabbi, an elitist rabbi bringing a child, it was unheard of. And he's saying, this is a great illustration of what someone who wants to be the greatest in the kingdom of God does. But you can see the disciples working through it because look what happens next. They say, Jesus, Jesus. Teacher, we saw someone, though, casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. We, we, we saw someone, and they weren't really with us, and so we said, you got to stop it because they were doing it in your name. They were like, we cast out this demon in the name of Jesus Christ, and we were like, hey, they're not even walking with us, so we were like, stop it, and, and what would you do there? Jesus says, well, do not stop them. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Very interesting way of translating, basically saying, look, they're doing it in my name. Don't make them your enemy. If they're doing it in my name, they're not gonna quick turn around and then and turn on me. It's as if I were to offer an employee, say, hey, yeah, uh, Pastor Chris, I'm gonna use Pastor Chris's name. Pastor Chris said it was okay if I took vacation that first week in November. Oh, okay, Pastor Chris said that? Yeah, yeah, his, his name. Yeah, isn't he a jerk? Like, you don't do that. You don't use someone's name and then immediately speak evil of him. And Jesus is like, Jesus is like leveraging that. And he's saying, for the one who is not against us, guys, is for us. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That feels contradictory to, to something I've heard before. Jesus would say, if you're either for me or against me, right? I mean, what, what is this passage here? And that's where context is so important. They're doing something in the name of Jesus. They're not an enemy or someone saying, I am against Jesus. They're doing it in the name of Jesus. They're just not doing it in a way that you particularly like or a philosophy that you would particularly do. And Jesus is going, look, look, let's not be so quick to call them our enemy. Let's just take it as that for now. And I'll tell you why this is important. Elitism is in the church just like anything else. In fact, some of you grew up in environments that promoted speaking poorly about other people of Christ. In fact, it was almost celebrated to bash another church, especially if it was in your local area, for heaven forbid that they would grow and not you. Ugh. And some of you grew up in that kind of environment and it was even promoted further when people would leave or go other places. And people who believed Jesus, who were doing things in the name of Jesus, but, but we don't do it that way at our church. No, and I heard that church is doing it and that is disgusting. And I will never speak to anybody who does it that way. Amen, sister, Amen. I heard there's some Christians over there and they have this new logo and we are never talking to them. And, 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 and the devil's going, let's go. And we have made, and, and you all have seen what church wars do. And it's done. And I'm just going to give the little secret in the name of elitism. 
and the fear or insecurity that if something else happens, that that will negatively impact us. And how many of you were almost encouraged under the name of a brand or an organization or a denomination to not like other believers in Christ? And that's why some of you went to college and went, oh my word, not only Baptists are going to heaven. And some of you went, oh my word, there are Mennonites. Oh my word, there are brethren in Christ. Oh my word, other people will be in heaven. I gotta go tell my mom. And then you go tell your mom and she says, uh-uh, do not watch that. We understand this and what can happen? What can happen? And this can happen amongst believers. We get this, you're either for us or against us. And Jesus is going, why are you doing that? They're doing it in my name. And what can creep in is this idea of, we're only gonna give honor if you're with us. We'll give you special parking, all these different things, because you're with us. But if you ever, if you ever, and if you're in a leads environment, you understand what passive aggressiveness is. Because if you ever leave it, you are no longer with us. And you are against us. But we're, I'm, a, I'm a sister in Christ. Yeah, but. And that comes from insecurity and wounds and hurt. And that's a whole nother sermon. But we care only for us. And the least approach oftentimes will, will be very, very conditional in its love giving. Okay, do you admit you're a complete loser? Yes. Okay, do you admit that you really messed up there and you're an embarrassment to your entire family? Yes, we admit. Okay, we can give them some grace. They now realize how stupid they are. That is that elitist mentality and some of you have gone through that and you have wounds from that. I got a brother in Christ I love dearly that was in his hospital bed and had his pastor visit him and tell him it's because of all the sin in his life, he's there. He said, it wasn't my most encouraging visit. Even though we do have sin, I'm sure. But it was done in this don't leave us. And the thought is do only what's best for us us. Jesus says, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose its reward. Jesus says, keep your eyes on the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of est, even in church world. And it's so easy to slip into. And I'm sure I've made mistakes in that area myself. So in the kingdom of God, which I'm taught to seek first, mirror, mirror on the wall, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? The answer, the servant of all. How many of you love the original language and working through words? Diakonos, it means willing servant. The idea is a servant that desires to excel at being the greatest servant of all. The, the greatest servant of all, the one who goes out of their way to go, I want to be last and put others first. Jesus says, pursue it. Oh, and this world is all about copying the servant call of Christ, but it's a little bit fake. You say, what? what? In the kingdom of Est, this world, young people, especially targeting college and high schoolers, advocate for something, stand for something, get out there and get your name. And it's really promoted, especially to our younger generation. You gotta be behind something. You gotta get behind something. And, and what's crazy is it looks so, so righteous. And it often is. But you will see very shortly after the 48 hour window of everyone posting that nobody cares about the subject anymore. You will see in the very short window after that thing on the side of the road, nobody cares anymore. And I'll tell you why. In the kingdom of S, they promote being a helper. And it's awesome to be a helper. In fact, we all should be helpers. But Jesus is going another step. He goes, no, 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 I want you to be a servant. Let's be reminded of the difference. A helper, they help only when it's convenient. Hey, could you help? Uh, you know what? Ah, not Friday. Mm, we really wanted to. A servant helps even when it's not convenient. You mean to tell me I could be a helper and really have a desire to help but not be a servant? Absolutely. 
You find out whether someone's a servant when they're willing to do it when it's not convenient at all. Here's another one. A helper helps people they like. Oh, I like them. I'll help them. A servant serves even people they dislike. Have you noticed the world will help anything as long as they like it? If they don't like it, it's the enemy. A servant in the kingdom of God serves even people they dislike. A helper helps only when it's fun. Oh man, I, I got into it because it was like so fun. It was like, oh, so crazy. Hey, Chris, can I talk to you? Like, um, it's, it's just not fun for me anymore. It's just not bringing anything. A servant serves even when it's not fun. I didn't like writing that one myself. That one, this isn't fun, God. No, it's not. Keep going. A, a helper helps only when they receive personal satisfaction. You know, I'm getting a lot from this. It's like really, ooh, I'm getting fed. A servant serves even when they receive no personal satisfaction. A helper helps only if they think they might benefit. Hey, you really probably want to help them because if you help them, they're probably going to help you back. And you're like, that's a, that's a really good connection. I mean, you got it. And they think through all of their relationships with agenda. Not a servant. A servant serves even when they think they might actually suffer for serving someone. That list is not my own. It was created and adapted from uh, an awesome professor at, uh, at um, Dallas Theological Seminary named Constable, who I reference that a lot in my life because this is an area I've always need to grow because it seems like God sends some people along in your life's journey just to see how you're doing. And you get in your car in this kingdom of est and you go, no, I'm being a servant. And then there's that car on the road. Oh my word, they're so annoying. Oh my word, they have so much lack of self-awareness. Oh, oh, that actually is a really good thing. We have all these temptations in the kingdom of est. And therefore, we have to be thinking and we have to be focused. I can't just be looking down the road because that could be the trap. I've got to check my what? Blind spots. Any attitudes, any approaches, or any mindsets that we're not seeing in ourselves that's having an impact on others around us. Servant of all. Am I, am I a servant of all? Am I showing honor to all? Care for all? And am I thinking about the best for all? Or do I only go places that agree with me? Or do I only talk to people who vote like me? Or do I only say positive things by people I respect? Or am I willing to serve wherever he, whoa, 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 Jesus, give me back that wheel. Wherever he, whoa, whoa, <laughs> you hit that, that silly car. Wherever, no, we're not stopping here. Wherever he, don't hit it, tells it to go. Check your blind spots. Because he says, I'm looking for a servant of all. There's a story that was written for the Home Life magazine, 1974. It was a, it was a, a neat little story to help teachers think about their classrooms for that year. And it has become a viral thing, you know. The boy's name was Teddy. He was in Mrs. Thompson's class and he was annoying. He barely concentrated in class. He couldn't focus. He was all over the place, gave poor body language, did poorly on his grades. And Mrs. Thompson admitted she enjoyed writing gigantic red X's over his wrong answers and big F's. So frustrating, ruining her day and her class. You can read the story. 
At the end of the school year, she was one of the teachers that was asked to review the grades of the kids throughout their time at the school. And she got Teddy's. She read in first grade. Wonderful boy, full of enthusiasm for school, a joy to have in the classroom. I don't think that was ever said about me, but other kids I've heard it said about. And then in second grade, it said this. Teddy needs encouragement, having trouble concentrating. Mom was diagnosed with an illness, and it might be life-threatening. In third grade, Teddy is struggling with his schoolwork. The death of his mother has impacted him, his entire family, and he shows zero interest in school. In fourth grade, Teddy is completely not paying attention, has zero desire, zero motivation. And she stopped and started to cry because the boy she had been so angry about is clearly showing all the signs of an internal wound that won't stop bleeding. The following month, it was Christmas and the kids brought in presents and Teddy brought her up a jewelry that was old and missing some rhinestones in it and some perfume that looked used before. The teacher, knowing his life, thought it was possibly the mother's. And as the kids were laughing at his present, she quickly sprayed the perfume on and put the necklace on and said, it's wonderful, I love it. Teddy smiled for the first time in a long time. I can't remember all the details of the story, but she wrote that four years later, or six years later, she got a letter Mrs. Thompson, you're my favoriteest teacher ever. I graduated high school. Four years later, she got another letter. Mrs. Thompson, you're still my favoriteest teacher ever. I graduated from college. It was tough, but I got through. A few years later, Mrs. Thompson, you're my favoriteest teacher ever. I'm getting married, and I was hoping you could sit in the place of my mother. Signed, Dr. Teddy Stafford, MD. She went to the wedding. She wore the necklace and sprayed the perfume. He hugged her and said, you smell just like my mom. You're my favoriteest teacher ever. You know, I think sometimes those people in our lives that we are most frustrated with is Jesus holding a mirror up going, do you see me? Because when we spot those things and we don't miss the blind spot, oh, they're driving me nuts. I was trying to teach you something about yourself that you're ignoring. We gain more perspective. Left side blind spot, will I be a servant of all? Right side blind spot, will I spot the least of these? Will I have honor for the least? Will I care for the least? Will I do what's best for the least? Are they something I'm missing? Where Jesus was going, there I was. There was a knock on the door. There was another knock on the door. The pastor said, sweetheart, I told you, even though I'm home, I'm not home. I'm busy. Went away. He continued to work on his studies. He said the stress and the difficulty of the agenda he had and the things he had to get done was really weighing on him and it was impacting his family and he knew all that, but he's got to get stuff done and he's living a little bit tight on the edge and he's just kind of frustrated. He keeps getting interrupted. Not now. He continued his study. He continued pursuing what he needed to get done. And he began to read how Jesus would make time for people, even people laying in the road that needed help. Even people who were annoying to him 
Even people who would go, I believe, help my unbelief. Oh my word, how long will I live here? But he stopped and he cared for them and he started working on his heart. Yes, daddy, daddy, please, I'll tell you really quick. And he said, my heart sunk because my daughter is yelling through the door to her dad, I'll tell you really quick. He said, where have my priorities gotten in the land of Est? He said, honey, open the door. Okay, dad, listen, I'll be really, really quick. He said, no, 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 sit down. Hmm? Come here, sit down. What? I'll be quick, dad. Sit down. What? Tell dad and um, go really slow. And she looked at her dad and she said, well, then you listen really slow. <laughs> we can learn a lot, can't we? When we stop allowing the kingdom of Est to impact, sweetheart, the kingdom of God. Is there a blind spot? And is it possible Jesus is trying to show you it by that annoying tap? By the, I don't have time for this? By those things in life? Because he loves you so much. He doesn't want you not only impacting other people poorly, but hurting yourself and possibly driving into a crash. And so, the ultimate blind spot warner is often a knock interrupting our daily life by someone we might find so whatever. And Jesus goes, remember when you saw them and you did that? Yeah, you did that for me. Heavenly Father, may we spot you in our daily life working on us. Oftentimes we don't see the blind spots in our life because we're so focused on the things the enemy wants us distracted by. And Lord, there's nothing wrong with pursuits. There's nothing wrong with desiring many things. It's when they're out of balance. It's when they're consuming the things that are most important. And isn't it like you, Jesus, to often send something that we deem least insignificant, silly, ridiculous to be the very thing where Jesus wants us to go find a mirror and ask us, who's the greatest of them all? And every time we look in that mirror, we will see the answer is Jesus. And what did he do? He was a servant to all. Inspire us to be the same this week when that knock comes. In Jesus' name, amen.